God our Father, creator of all things, true source of light and wisdom, be gracious to us. Let a ray of your light penetrate the darkness of our understanding. Give us confidence in the power of your gospel. Grant us clarity in understanding and proclaiming the truths of your word. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to our sermon this morning, which I've entitled Windows to the Soul. How many times have you been to a funeral, listened to the eulogy or eulogies, and and then you think or you say to yourself, good grief, I never really knew this person properly. This is often not just a friend or an acquaintance, it sometimes could be a relative or a close friend. And even though nice things are almost always said about the deceased at funerals, even when you separate the exaggerated from the real, you find yourself saying, that's not the person that I knew. And at times I've had to admit, I felt a little bit ashamed that I never scratched through the surface and, and, and got to know these people properly in their lives. As an example, my, I had a sister-in-law who died very prematurely after a prolonged illness. We weren't very close. We weren't very close actually geographically. They lived in the far north of Melbourne. We lived in the far south. And in a relationship sense, we weren't all that close. But our families did get together every Christmas and every anniversary and so on. And we had a, we used to have a pleasant enough time together. But I was amazed that at her funeral, one of her daughters spoke of, of how her mother was such a big fan of football. A big fan of football. In fact, she spoke about the time that they drove across to Adelaide to watch a, a significant match over there. I have to say, we had never, in all our many years uh, of association, we'd never ever spoke about football. And I found myself saying, almost with a little shame, that I never really got to know Carol in her 50-odd years here on Earth. I had a similar experience recently when I read a book that revealed to me the first, for the first time, the whole life of Vincent, the great artist Vincent van Gogh. There's probably roughly three things that you and I would know about van Gogh, and I bet they're the, they're the same things. One, he only sold one painting in his lifetime. Two, he cut off his ear. And three, he committed suicide. The book, which was entitled Windows of the Soul, was written by Ken Guy. And he began with a quote from uh, the Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn, whose novel so upset the Russians that they uh, sent him into um, the labour camps. And Solzhenitsyn said, Art can warm even a chilled and sunless soul 
to an exalted spiritual experience. Through art, we occasionally receive, indistinctly, briefly, revelations the likes of which cannot be achieved by rational thought. It is like the small mirror of legend. You look into it, but instead of yourself, you glimpse for a moment the inaccessible, a realm forever beyond reach, and your soul begins to ache. C.S. Lewis explained that the right way to look at a work of art was, we sit down before a picture in order to have something done to us, not that we may do things with it. The first demand any work of art makes upon us is surrender. Look, listen, receive. For many of us, though, that's not what we do. We look and listen, but instead of receiving, we react. Instead of surrendering, we resist. Instead of coming away changed, we come away critical. And that is true whether we come away from a piece of art, from a movie on a Saturday night, or a sermon that we might hear on Sunday morning. Gaia tells of a prominent Catholic priest who was deeply moved by one of Rembrandt's work of art. The painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son, and after sitting in front of the painting for four hours, he stated, the painting has become a mysterious window through which I can step into the kingdom of God. Gaia then contrasts his own reaction for the first time when he saw the art of Van Gogh and his painting, Irises. And it was in the Getty Museum in California he said, I stood, not sat before it, and at a distance. I looked not for four hours, not even for four minutes. A minute may be, and that's all. My reaction was disbelief. How could such an ordinary painting, he said, sell for millions, irises of all things? He said, I shook my head. And I walked away and I forgot Van Gogh until many years later. Gaia had read that Van Gogh believed in God at one period of his life. He did it passionately and then he remembered the words of the song Vincent by Don McLean, recorded as a tribute to Van Gogh. And this time he listened more intently. Some of the words were, now I understand what you tried to say to me and how you suffered for your sanity and how you tried to set them free. They would not listen. They did not know how. Perhaps they'll listen now. Guy wondered, was he one of those not listening? What was Vincent trying to say? And so he decided to read all the books he could find on Van Gogh. And this is what he found. Van Gogh started life as the son of a pastor. And from the beginning, 
He wanted to sow the words of the Bible to the poor and working class people. He spent endless nights copying page after page of the Bible, translating it, translating it into English, German and French. I read it daily, he wrote, but I should like to know it by heart and to view life in the light of its words. He went to London and he preached to the poor in the most dangerous, dirty parts of a city. He sought a theological education, but his zeal and his eccentricities won him no friends in the religious establishment. And so to get him out of the way, he was assigned as a lay evangelist to an impoverished coal mining town. There he plunged into his work, living amongst the miners and sharing their poverty. He went down the mines to be with them, breathing into his lungs the same black dust. And he preached to them on Sundays, trying his best to infuse a little light, a little hope into their cold black lives. He wrote to his brother, I should be very happy if someday I could draw them so that those unknown or little known types would be brought before the eyes of the people. And so that's what he did. He drew them. But the more he drew them, the less he preached until one day he only drew. I should add, he though continued himself as a Christian. Because of his extreme self-denial, and his fanatical zeal, the church terminated his position. And at 27, he embarks on what was to become his journey as an artist. He is, though, still naturally drawn to the poor and the downtrodden, and they dominate his paintings. In his letters, he said, I want to say something comforting. I want to paint men and women with that something of the eternal which the halo used to symbolise. And he painted pictures of a peasant woman sewing, of farm labourers, men and women in the fields or in their homes, exhausted at the end of the day, having their evening meal, a woman weeping, Two women praying, a woman with a child in her lap. Van Gogh's sketch entitled Sitting at Eternity's Gate is of a man sitting in a chair, his face buried in his hands. In this print, he said, I've tried to express what seems to me one of the strongest proofs of the existence of God and eternity. Certainly in the infinite, infinitely touching expression of such a little old man, which, which he himself is perhaps unconscious of when he's sitting in his chair in the corner by the fire. And at the same time, there's something precious, something noble, which cannot be destined for worms. But no one seemed to understand. 
what this impassioned artist was trying to say. It was as if it was a foreign language that he was using. Through years of rejection, loneliness and depression, Vincent's mental state deteriorated, as did, unfortunately, his spiritual life. Mention of his faith gradually disappears from his letters. In 1889, he was admitted to an asylum in France, and from his sparsely furnished room, he had a view of the countryside with its sun-washed fields and also the back garden, where there was a plot of flowers, mostly irises, and he painted those irises. A painting which he claimed restored his sanity. That's the same painting which Ken Guy stood in front of over 100 years later and shook his head and walked away from. His sanity, though, only returned for a time. And in that same year, he painted Starry Night, the one sung of in Don McLean's song. In it, you can see something of the dark night of Vincent's soul. But then, when he looked up, there he saw the stars and the starlight too. I've got a copy of that painting. I'll hold it up for you to have a look at. That wasn't, of course, the original I was showing you there. <coughs> In fact, that one we bought from a house clearance sale for $5. But you could see there something of the dark night of Vincent's soul. He wrote of this painting, For my part, I know nothing with any certainty, but the sight of the stars makes me dream. His final painting, completed in 1890, is titled simply Cornfield with Crows. Of this, he wrote, it's a vast field of wheat under troubled skies, and I did not need to go out of my way to express sadness and extreme loneliness. And not long afterwards, he went out into those vast fields and he shot himself. He wasn't even a good shot and he missed his heart, so he lingered long enough for his brother to get to his side. Where he spoke his last words, la tristesse duria, which means the sadness will never go away. Someone said that you are a success if at the end of your life, the people who knew you best are the ones who respect you the most. Vincent's mother and brother knew that he had a great heart for the poor and the downtrodden. And his mother had said, this will surely not go unobserved by God. Ken Guy was ashamed that Van Gogh's life had been unobserved by him and his work so casually dismissed. And that now he saw something else. He saw through Vincent something 
of the great artist of souls, Jesus. Christ, said Van Gogh, is more of an artist than the artists. He works in the living spirit and the living flesh. He makes men instead of statues. Like Vincent, Jesus drew our attention to the sower in the field, the birds of the air, the flowers of the fields, and the faces of the poor. Like Vincent, Christ has, to borrow Don McLean's words, eyes that know the darkness in my soul, hands like an artist that soothes weathered faces lined in pain. And like Vincent, he tried to set them free. But unlike Vincent, who died from a self-inflicted wound, Jesus was killed by others. Unlike Vincent, whose last days were filled with despair, Jesus, even on the night he was betrayed, encouraged his disciples. And once on the cross, he encouraged the thief next to him. And even when forsaken, Jesus entrusted his spirit to his Father's hands. There were some similarities, but much separates the two artists. Yet, in their deaths, they have this in common. Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and Vincent with his last words, the sadness will never go away. Don McLean's words, and how you tried to set them free, they would not listen. They're not listening still. Perhaps they never will reflects something of both Christ's and Vincent's sorrow. Passers-by stood at a distance and criticised both artists. They shook their heads and they walked away. Look at the pictures as what they were both saying. And if you look with the right eyes, those pictures will become windows leading out of the darkness so that we can find our way home. A home that we will share with our Lord Jesus Christ, set free by his life given on the cross for each one of us. And a closing prayer. May God's word be in your heart. May God's word be on your lips. May God's word be in your touch. May God's word direct your feet on this day and all your days to come. May God's word be the life you live. Amen.